What's up, folks? This is uh, CC's Word. We got a little bonus episode coming at you, man. And because uh, uh, this morning I recorded an episode and I did express that I plan to have uh, a fellow Yang gang member on the podcast with me. Um, he was not able to make that podcast, but he is able to make it with us this afternoon or this evening. So uh, this is not a joke. His name is Alexander Hamilton. The first Secretary of State of our country, or was it the first Secretary of Treasury? Secretary of Treasury. That's right. First Secretary of Treasury for our country. Alex is uh, sometimes, you believe it or not, guys, there are people that are more hipped on history than Calvin, and Alex is one of them. All right. And um, I, you know, I met Alex with the Yang Gang here in Birmingham, uh, and he was. A little bit, uh, I think you were able to make a few more events than I was, um, because I remember I met Alex the first time I canvassed for any campaign was uh, with uh, Alex over at um, the, the, the like, uh, founding members HQ, or home um, for the Yang Gang in Birmingham. So, Alex, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here. And actually, I don't think I attended any more events than you because that was due to the intensity of like the semester, the first semester I had at UAB. That was the only phone banking event that I could attend. And then I attended two uh, debate parties that we had together, um, I think, or, or at least one of them. I, I attended one kind of debate party that we had. And then I also attended a little uh, bowling party that we had yep, organizing and planning future events that I thought I was going to be able to attend. But unfortunately, I just couldn't uh, due to certain circumstances. But uh, that's okay. Yeah. So I was planning to talk about essentially what I talked about on this morning's podcast with you. I don't know if you were able to catch that. Um, but I went into the Tara Reid allegations that are coming up against Joe Biden. And I compared the reaction that the Democrat uh, leaders are um, making to like this, uh, these allegations. Um, and then you like compare it to the allegations that were made and the reactions they had to Brett Kavanaugh's uh, in just two years. A lot of them seem to have flipped the script. You know, <laughs> they seem to have changed how they feel about believe all women and stuff, you know. So, I mean, um, we'll get into that a little bit more tonight. Uh, cause I do want to get your opinion on that. But I want to start off with the Yang campaign and really just kind of get your overall thoughts on, you know, how, how do you do and what do you feel maybe the future for Andrew Yang could be? Oh, yeah. Andrew Yang, as far as I can tell, was definitely one of the more important figures, I'd say, one of the most important individuals that ran for president. Obviously, very early on, I was going for him. And the reason that I was going for him, and then origin, uh, later on after that, I changed to Bernie when I realized that he had no chance and that Yang dropped out. But the reason that I was originally for Andrew Yang is actually because I think that he's just an individual who is just completely non-ideological. Now you could say that like he does have ideological tendencies. Everyone has some overlap in their beliefs 
with some ideology, but that doesn't mean that just because you share some percentage of your beliefs with that ideology that you actually embody that ideology entirely. And that's actually the reason why I liked Yang. I thought he had an extremely creative spirit. I thought he was bringing to the table outside of the box ideas that I just saw no one else talking about. I thought that while I liked the fact that Bernie Sanders, for example, could was trying to create a movement to move, because I'm probably further left than you, to move the political spectrum further left. I also simultaneously disagreed with a lot of his left-wing positions uh, that shouldn't even be, all of them shouldn't be considered left-wing positions. Maybe we can talk about uh, that a little bit more. Some things are just considered left-wing um, because there's only one, like, for example, climate change. You can be serious about climate change without believing that we should run everything on solar and wind. And to be pro-environment shouldn't simultaneously be uh, only pro-wind uh, pro and solar and not pro-nuclear. Pro and so just in general, the reason why I like Yang so much is because he was just such an unorthodox candidate that I had to support him. And he was also connected to one of my favorite public intellectuals, Eric Weinstein, who is just, my God, <laughs> like such oh, yeah. a genius. Like I, I can't get enough of listening to that guy. And whatever the future holds for Yang, I think it's going to be positive. He's already messed with the political spectrum in a like, very positive way. He's pushed universal basic income to the forefront, which I think is just amazing. It's something that we should have been having a conversation about a long time long time ago and although you might not see yang run for uh, a presidential election in the future he probably will run as a mayor or some or a senator or something like that a lower level position and he's also pushed uh both the left and the right to consider universal basic income so yang's done fucking phenomenal as far as i can tell for sure i think that um you know, this election, I mean, he is someone that I'm seeing, you know, the media blackout is certainly gone now because there was, um, there, for one, you know, he endorsed Biden. And so, you know, there's a certain kind of part of the Democrat establishment that, you know, is uh, more open to people when they feel they're on their side. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were upset with Yang for endorsing Biden. I personally kind of felt that even though, you know, I don't know if you have uh, heard kind of the things I've been talking about on this podcast, but it is, uh, it is, I I'm not voting for either one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably riding in Yang if I'm being honest, but, uh, and it's just, just based on policy and their records. And that's what I base my vote on. Um, and, you know, I feel that Yang endorsing him was not like a cop out or a sellout. It was, hey, this is who is best poised to win the the uh, the, the primary at that point because it was like after uh, the second Super Tuesday, so Bernie was pretty much done at that point. Um, and you know, it's best to go ahead and support the nominee. Just you know, overall kind of unspoken political rules 
um, and in order to just help be a part of the administration and maybe push those ideas forward. Um, you know, what did you think about the Biden endorsement? Um, you know, I think it would have been more interesting if he had prefaced with the fact that he actually supported, and this is originally, I don't know how much he feels this now, but because Bernie's actually shifted a lot of his policies over time, he's added a lot more things in like the Great New Deal and federal jobs guarantee. Yikes. I mean, I'm not too big of a fan of either of those, but I know that he was more of a Bernie bro than he was anyone else in the 2016 election. And in my opinion, it would have, as someone perhaps with a bit of a Bernie bias, it would have been appropriate for him to preface with the fact that even though I actually have a lot more in common with someone like Bernie Sanders than I do Joe Biden, this is a strategy that I, you know, I, I'm going for Joe Biden based on pragmatism because we have to stop Trump. Nothing wrong with like endorsing the Democratic candidate. Um, although it's not something that I in particular would do because I just, I'm not in any way, shape or form Joe Biden fan. Um, I care oh, yeah. more about making change than maintaining status quo. That's just my personal philosophical opinion. Although I can, I definitely do see perhaps being about a lot more than me, which is likely because he's really smart guy. Um, but I can see why Yang endorsed Biden. Although, as, as someone who has a bit of bias, I wish that perhaps he had waited a little bit longer until Bernie Sanders was for sure out of the picture. Yeah, and, you know, that kind of goes into this whole, um, you know, and, and like Andrew Yang, I think at this point is, you know, he has his whole, you know, humanity forward, and they're kind of just kind of moving forward with a lot of the policies he had, honestly, um, and just trying to do it in a nonprofit and charity way um, until he has the opportunity to go back into government. Um, do you do you think he's going to be having like a, a a a you know a significant position in the Biden administration? Uh, well, I know that a little while ago it made news that he had been in contact with Joe Biden and that Joe Biden, Biden would prefer to have someone like Yang in the Biden administration. Um, whether or not that's going to happen, I'm not sure. I think Andrew Yang should be in literally any presidential candidate in the campaign. And I think it would happen regardless of whether or not it was Joe Biden as the front runner or it was uh, any other political candidate running. So, I don't think um, it's Joe in particular that wants him running for him. I just think that Democrats in general would like to work with VA because, or even some Republicans, to be honest, because it's hard to our pragmatic enemy. I, uh, it sounds like you're cut out there a little bit. I, um, do you have your mic, like, uh, close to you? Unfortunately, I don't really have a mic. I just have my phone. Gotcha. Well, yeah, it, it did sound like you may have kind of like moved your head away from the mic a little bit. Okay, how does this sound? Uh, that sounds fantastic. Okay, Very cool. So, I, I, yeah, I'll just start over real quick. So, I, I was just saying that I think that really any Democratic nominee that was running for president would like 
Andrew Yang to be working with them, right? It, it doesn't even matter if it's Joe Biden. I think that regardless of who was the Democratic primary candidate to face up against Trump, they want to work with Yang because he's just such a smart and pragmatic and creative individual who talks about issues that nobody else talks about. And so I don't think it's just Joe Biden who wanted to work with him or, you know, it, it, would, it would be anyone. And, uh, you know, that's just the nature of Yang. Everyone, everyone wants to work with someone who's just- You, you certainly hope so. My, <clears throat> my thing is, I feel that, you know, if you look at just, you know, we, we, me and you at least understand, I feel like, or at least I'm kind of on the same page about what Joe Biden represents. Um, and that is really, um, you know, neoliberalism and, uh, you know, the continuation of just uh, the Democratic establishment kicking the left in the teeth um, and anyone who is more to the left than these quote-unquote moderates. And I say quote-unquote because to me a real moderate is not a corporatist yeah. and elitist like a lot of the people who are in Washington like Nancy Pelosi yeah. <laughs> and Chuck Schumer. You want to call those people moderates? Like literally a moderate would be talking about UBI. Like Yang's more of a moderate than anyone else in, in the Democratic kind of establishment right now. But when uh, that's why like I'm skeptical of Joe Biden even picking Yang to be a part of the administration significantly, which I think is rough because, you know, he's made a statement like, my job is to make the Pete Buttigieg's of this world or make it make the path for these, for the Pete Buttigieg's of this world. That's something that Biden was quoted of saying last week. And it's just like, well, right there shows you like, this is just a joke. And, or at least his candidacy, I feel is just like a stepping stone for the next year for them to be able to elevate these next generation neoliberal leaders such as your Klobuchar your Pete Buttigieg Um, I mean Kamala Harris God bless her she you know it would be great to have an African-American woman as the vice president or as the attorney general but if we want to talk about policy this lady has affected the African-American community in California worse than you know almost any Republican policy has so, you know, it's just like it's so disappointing to see how, you know, democracy overall, I feel, um, you know, I mean, Biden has the most votes in the primary, so he's going to win. But like there is a kind of sense that, at least for me, that, you know, democracy was not you know, done in the best manner during that Democrat primary because, one, you saw deals were made 100% Monday before Super Tuesday. Things were done behind the scenes to make sure that Bernie was not about to win this thing, man. And then, um, you know, you look at a situation where it's like... um, I feel tremendously disappointed in the fact that a lot of the voters in the primary were not probably as informed on Biden's history. And there's so many people who are kind of just like, well, it's Obama's vice president. So that's why I'm going to vote for him. 
I mean, yeah, I, I just think that the average, you know, individual is just really unconcerned with the political details that, it, that, that we pay attention to so often because you know, the average everyday person is, you know, they're, they're working, maybe not during this COVID epidemic, but you know, they're working 40 hours a week. They're really stressed about work. They go home, they pop open a beer. They don't want to think about anything stressful. So they just kind of go with whatever candidate that they think will be most in line with whatever ideological viewpoints that they have. And they never have changed their ideological viewpoints ever since they were a child. So they just go with the easy option and say, I'm voting for red or I'm voting for blue. And I'm not even going to consider whatever this purple character is, purple meaning like Bernie Sanders or Andrew Yang, meaning like unorthodox candidates, because that's just like too much complexity, too much complexity for me to handle right now. And so, yeah, I, I think that, no, for sure. Also, as you said, democracy has not been working the best at all. Um, especially if you consider the fact that like Bernie Sanders, when he won, he won Iowa, right? So I don't, I don't know what he, he definitely won Iowa like officially right. because he got like 3,000 or 30,000 more votes than Pete mm-hmm. Buttigieg, but they declared him the winner, which is insane. Yeah, yeah, it's but... just like the the spin on it. Like it, it was just, so they're like, are there, how, how does the election in Iowa work? I actually wasn't paying attention much during that time. So it's like there were two winners, but the media declared one individual to be the official winner. Or I, I just don't know how it works. Well, essentially what happened is, like, Pete just jumped a gun is all it was because, like, they weren't done counting. And Pete, at the end of the first – at the end of the night on Iowa caucus night said, hey, I'm – like, basically kind of made a speech before they even declared a winner because they were still counting votes. And they didn't declare a winner yeah. until, like um, – really until closer to, uh, you know, New Hampshire. And so – uh, like Amy Klobuchar and Warren had like left Iowa at that point, and they made a speech from New Hampshire about Iowa. Um, but Pete came out and said pretty much, "Hey, I won this thing," um, and you know tried to make kind of like a victory speech before really a winner was declared. Yeah, and that that's and so yeah, the, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like the really trouble thing, troublesome thing about that is just. Not, not necessarily that Pete declared victory beforehand, but the fact that the media covered the fact that Pete won exactly. just regardless of whether or not they had all of the official numbers in. And it was like all of the mainstream media. And if you pay any attention at all, you know that's just dude, how dishonest the mainstream media is. That's not surprising, but still simultaneously extremely frustrating. Yeah, well, like, it, it, what it is is that it's not surprising, but it's, like, almost, oh, yeah. like, the more and more we go, it's just, like, the least credible, the less credible these guys are becoming. Like, you see how they yelled for, like, months, and, like, this goes into, you know, a lot more than just the election, but, like, it goes into, like, it, it also goes into, like, how the left, or not the left, but how Democratic establishment tries to blame everyone else for what happened in 2016 instead of looking at themselves and saying what could we have done better and you know they the media yelled and said that the president was a russian agent for 
freaking three <laughs> yeah. years, man. You know, and still are saying it. And they, where they said it for two years, and then there was the, um, you know, the Mueller report came out. Nothing pretty yeah. much, nothing pretty much, uh, you know, uh, showed that the president had any credible connection to Russia, right? And then we go through the impeachment process. Now, in my mind, I don't know how you felt about impeachment. I did feel that the president abused his powers when he tried to inquire about information with Ukraine. I do think that happened. And, like, a lot of my Republican friends tried to just say, you know, you're wrong because he got acquitted. It's like, well, that's because I don't know if you understand how impeachment works, but it's a political process. If that dude was in a courtroom, though, and it was a judicial process, 100% he'd be behind bars right now. So, you know, I feel that, and like we're we're gonna kind of go into. I want to get your opinion just overall on the twenty twenty election. I feel that, you know, I I lean toward the idea that that even with this pandemic, even with how he has just flopped completely on responding to this effectively, and you know, a lot of people will try and say, well, he's actually done pretty well, and like the numbers are approving approval, yeah. Everything was late, though, man, and like that's a fact of the matter. Yeah. There are a lot of things we could have done a lot faster and a lot better, uh, and there's a lot of people you can blame for what we're in right now, including some of the blame to go to China. Some of the blame can go to the World Health Organization, but also our president has some uh, accountability here. But, you know, even with all that, I feel that these suckers could freaking lose this election again huh. and then Trump ends up winning. And then it's like, again, we like, well, the question kind of, we just have to wait and see, will they attack people on the left, people who were Bernie supporters, people who were, you know, uh, people who used to vote for Obama and then voted for Trump, people who voted for Hillary maybe, and maybe are going to vote for Trump this time, you know, they're going to blame those people. Yeah. Most likely, like they did in 2016, instead of self-evaluating, you know, yeah. So, you know, how, I mean, how do you feel about kind of the race? Because I, I do lean just like objectively, you know, again, I'm not voting yeah. for either one. Objectively, I do feel uh, this thing lean towards Trump just because, I mean, it just like every day something new comes out with Biden just being, you know, more skeletons in his closet and now you're starting to see that, like, the Obama FBI set up people in in Trump's team, yeah. like Michael Flynn. I don't know if you've seen that story, but the dude was able to get his court uh, or, or, like, the case dismissed, I believe. Um, and he was uh, able to get out of prison because it appears that the FBI set him up and he did not have any, like, legitimate charges against him. Yeah, well, I, I just think that uh, I'll, I'll go back to what you said earlier about kind of like the deplorables conversation about, like, you know, just blaming everyday voters for switching their votes around from, you know, people who voted for Obama to people who vote for Trump and just people who in general don't vote for the Democratic nominee. I mean, just it just tells you how out of touch they are, because I mean, what they do is they actually do in, in a very milder sense what the Republicans also do, which is blame immigrants, you know, you know, blame, blame African-Americans, just blame minority groups for everything. But, you know, simultaneously, 
what they do whenever election time comes around is, you know, whenever someone votes for the candidate that they're not supposed to vote for, according to them, they paint that entire category of people as bigots without looking at all of the complexity. And perhaps, you know, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of bigotry uh, amongst people who vote for certain candidates such as Trump, but, you know, just to paint people in general like that when you're actually trying to win them over is the least pragmatic move and the le most disconnected move that you know, I could just possibly imagine. The entire, you know, 2016 quote by Hillary Clinton when she just you know, called a whole group of people deplorables, including people who were going to not vote for her, people who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump, you know, just painting them all as deplorables. I, I just thought that was just a completely disconnected move. And so that just, I wanted to note that real quick and just to show how out of, out of place and out of touch the DNC and the elites and the media tend to be. And so just, so just as far as the election goes though, and you can push back on that if you want, I'm not sure if you agree with me, but, um, no, I, I mean, I, I hear you, man. I mean, I'm a hundred percent with you on that. I mean, I agree. I mean, look, I get all my news pretty much from like independent sources yep. on YouTube, people like Kyle Kalinsky, people like uh, the Heal, the yeah, Rising Show they have on there. So like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're so great. But yeah, yeah. Um, so as far as the 2020 election go, uh, at this point, I mean, I'm, I'm not even like really concerned with the candidate, right? I, it's just just if I'm going to pay attention to anything political, it's not going to be anything about the candidates because, to be totally honest. That's all drama show. The, the only time the candidates, the individual candidates paying attention to them actually matters is when you're trying to find uh, the primary Democratic or pre uh, Republican presidential nominee. And after that, drama fest, that drama show is over. There's really no need to just pay attention to them. You know, um, bless David Pakman, but a lot of his content <laughs> is just uh, Trump's brain malfunctions during speech, you know, or Biden's brain malfunctions while doing this. I, mean, I, I don't really care about that. Um, so I don't really pay attention to individual candidates anymore. I think that, you know, just if I were to just look at the broadness of the election and politics going on in general, I would say that, you know, based purely on just issues alone, um, Biden, just Biden is just so uninspiring. I just, I can't, I, I can't imagine someone like him who seems to be just a male version of Hillary Clinton and perhaps an even worse and least and less inspiring candidate due to, I hate to say this, but due to just the fact that he's not, even, he's not a woman. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, it's just like one of probably the least inspiring candidate that I can possibly think of is going to be our democratic nominee, he just, he has no base. And that's the thing. The thing about Trump is, and just that he, he, he actually has a base, right? So, I mean, the polls back in 2016 showed that statistically speaking, Hillary Clinton should be the presumptive, you know, she, she should win the election. And there's just so many polls, so many selective polls being showed by CNN and MSNBC, ABC, Etc. that she's going to win yet, you know, if, you, if you're looking at a lot of people 
who are experts in the field, but it, it just have a history of being able to predict elections. The, the, the main factor that actually, and I can't remember who said this, but he's uh, predicted like 10 election cycles in a row and he's with 100% accuracy. And he said that the, the nominee that is most likely to win is the nominee that actually has the face of people who are really, really excited. So like they, there will be a whole bunch of people that can say that they will support a nominee. That they say they support a nominee, but it actually takes inspiration to get them to go out and vote for you. They, they actually have to be excited to get to the polls to vote for you in the first place. And if you don't have that, then you can have supporters. But if you have supporters that are so uninspired because you're an uninspiring candidate that they won't even go out and poll for you because it's like too much effort, they don't really care about you, then you're going to lose. Right. And so just in my opinion, and maybe he's not going to get smashed as hard as Hillary Clinton did in 2016, because I guess there, there, there are some who say that, you know, that, that, that he's Joe Biden would do better in the swing states than Hillary Clinton. Um, although I, I feel like that marginal, right. Um, I feel like Trump is still going to win this election if you want me to be, be totally honest with you and uh it's on un, it's unfortunate that we could have we could we could have had an inspiring candidate like yang or bernie but unfortunately we don't and we didn't get that chance so those are my thoughts yeah. going to win. and you know i uh i, I don't want to i won't i don't want folks to just think that we're just like railing against uh Biden or seven on this podcast because that has been what majority of my podcasts have been i'll be honest but like the point of this is because like everyone knows why trump shouldn't be president <laughs> it's very clear almost every day but the democratic establishment seems to not understand the simple ways they can beat these guy, this guy uh and and like that kind of goes back to the thing of like when you were saying that uh you know trump has a base what's sad man is that they could still lose this election even when trump is just lying yeah. <laughs> to his base because when you look at yeah when you look at what he's actually done he has done squawk for the main street um you know people as he's right, done right. more for wall street people and you know when it comes to like those swing states what has he done for you guys i mean i think he's bought one or two factories that they can get a photo opportunity back for and like other than that we did not see this massive way and, and of course i mean they want to yell at like the democrats wasting their time on impeachment and everything which is a point that they can use in this election Trump can say that, hey, I wasn't able to get anything done because they kept trying to say I was a spy for three years. But, you know, there's also the point of every opportunity he had to try and help Main Street, there wasn't really too much of an effort. Put yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting how he paints himself as, you know, kind of a champion of the working class. It's, I don't think he's ever directly said anything like that. But through his speeches, that's kind of like... Well, he called right, right. I mean, populist for sure. Like he's not. Right? <laughs> the implication of all the speeches, yeah, I, I guess he, I don't know if he's called this populist or not, although he does seem to be more populist, although I, more of a fake populist than anything else, more of a populist than his 
rhetoric. Exactly. And you know, I, I can he can get behind a whole bunch of or in front of a whole bunch of construction workers. They can be in the background. They can wear their arm helmets, and he can put a thumbs up and say the economy is doing great. But if you actually look at what he's done for unions, he's done little to nothing. And people who work, you know, it, and I'm not saying, by the way, that construction workers are the working class, but that's the mainstream conception of what the working class is. You know, people who are in trades and working with their hands. And there's a reason why he has them behind him. It's just ironic to me because, you know, working class includes, Andrew Yang actually said this, like women of color who work at malls, like that's also the working class. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just the fact that, you know, he's going to say to their faces that, and, and not even realize it, unfortunately, that the economy is doing great, business is doing great, I'm for the working class, yet you know, not realizing that him saying the economy and the businesses are doing great, that doesn't mean that it has any trickle-down effect to them, right? It's just so it's saddening, right? It's just it's somehow there has been a conditioning that being anti-union it's anti-working class. So the opposite. I mean, it depends what state you're in for sure, but most many, many circles do are under working class, like construction workers, for example, like working class. They're just so, they have such an anti-left-wing bias. And it's just like, I'm not raging against them. Unfortunately, the way the propaganda has rolled out. Right? Just, you know, they are convinced that even though unions in their situations would higher their wages, right? And they need higher wages. Believe me, I've, I've talked to many of them who are working two jobs, just 80 hours a week. It's, it's crippling. They have no workers' rights at all. They've just been convinced through this propaganda over and over again that unions and, and, high, and battling for higher wages and you know asking for more benefits is somehow uh, not noble. And I, I just feel like we need a sense of in order to get the left back on track, a sense of like giving the working class, not just repainting what it means, what a handout means, right? We shouldn't conceptualize anything as a handout, right? They, they should know that if they are workers, they demand respect because, and I'm not a Marxist, but kind of like a Marxist perspective is like, you are the working class. Business owners can do absolutely nothing without the working class and that you guys are actually the ones that keep everything running. Therefore, you should demand more. The idea should not be that, you know, you need to work hard for what you get. Don't complain when you don't get it, right? No, 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 Like the, the conception should be demand more from the people who hire you because you fricking deserve it. That's what I think. There, you know, and the issue is that there's no protection for people to, besides unions and and even some unions there's kind of a whole like structure and hierarchy to that that can ultimately make it to where like corporate interests are maintained more than the workers should be and like a prime example like so my i don't want to say too much about it but i'll say just because i don't know i don't know if i can say a whole lot without him getting in trouble My dad was, is, a, is a union president in in our area, uh-huh. our region here, um, and he 
before they passed the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Trade Act, the new thing that Trump had, which was pretty much uh-huh. like a new NAFTA, right. um, my dad went to Washington as part of the group of, uh, of leaders, and uh, he he was... Uh, they invited like all the union, like a lot of union leaders from around the country to kind of just give their suggestions and kind of get their thoughts on the trade deal before yeah. it went to Congress, be voted on. And uh, essentially, my dad was saying, and like, uh, granted, like, my dad, I like, he, he's a, he's kind of a, a never a hashtag never Trumper, and like, he's Biden, he's voting yeah. Biden no matter what. As uh, more and more we've realized that like it probably isn't going to be much better under him, but but um, but you know, and and it's just you know, my dad's one of those people that puts civility and you know kindness in the president. I think uh, above uh, you know policy sometimes. Sure. Um, But when it when he when he talks about this trade deal, he he says like, look, there's no changes essentially Mm -hmm. they're making to it. They're putting NAFTA back in place, but just putting a new deal. Like they're putting really just more help for corporations there, uh, and there there really isn't any major changes they're making, and they're just putting yeah. a new name on it. And so you know that's the whole thing of just like you know, and Trump's gonna want, you know, and that that is like a central part of his campaign about that trade deal, and it's just like you know anytime the democratic establishment and Trump are able to agree and Mitch McConnell are able to all three agree on one thing. You better believe there's some corruption going on. (laughs) You know, you better believe there's some lies being told to the American people. I mean, I question like even, and maybe we can get to the Tara Reid conversation soon, but I mean, I just like, I question how much, and I haven't really looked statistics up on this. Like I, I should have, um, I plan on getting a lot more informed this summer now that the semester's over, but I know, I know Trump is just making a lot of claims that are manufacturing, and if this is true, then this is good, because this is actually a position that I'm for, but I know Trump has been making a lot of claims that our manufacturing has been coming back to the United States. Do you know if that's actually true, or it's just kind of like bullshitting? So, from what I understand, I mean, there, there's there's a few kind of um it kind of goes back to the whole thing of like there's a few photo op moments that he got like uh, apple agreed to bring mac uh, manufacturing to texas so they did that there's a big video they released with him and tim cook walking around the new factory in texas um and then they um there are a few uh like um there are a few factories that I believe they were able to bring from South America back to the United States. Um, But I have slight issue with that only because I think there's a lack of foresight in um, like our, our kind of diplomacy when he did that, because, okay, it's good to get more jobs in America. Yes. But in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, Developing countries are going to get outsourced work, whether it's us or someone else. And what we see is that China is starting to have a great deal of influence on a lot of the economies of South America. That scares me a bit. 
And for me, I feel that like we have just got to find a balance of we can, yeah, get get manufacturing back in America, but let's also see if we can help develop the economies of our neighbors in our region so that we don't have loyalties that should be with us going across the ocean. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know? Because I don't know, I think I, to me, I feel like we're inching more and more to just more hostility with China, and and part of it is like the neocons and Trump's administration yeah. kind of pushing for that, but also like, you know, China has done some kind of hostile things, like just blatantly, you know, they have done some things that uh, that that do require some accountability. Absolutely, and, and uh, you know, so, the, one of the things, and I just want to like. Maybe this maybe this is the last word we'll say about like uh, trade, but you know, I, unfortunately, like there is actually a big problem with China that actually needs to be addressed. And you know, ironically, we have the one person who is just like, you know, just factually speaking, the biggest liar out of anyone in politics that we've seen in just so long. Just like the sheer amount of lies that he actually articulates per speech it's just like astounding ironically the guy who lies the most is telling the truth more than anyone else about the issue of china because just he's the only one that will acknowledge the issues with china in the first place i mean just like i don't think for example and I, maybe i'm like breaking the rules of the left right now i'm not even sure but like i don't necessarily think that closing your borders temporarily to china for the corona crisis is something that ought to be like conceptualized as automatically xenophobic and that that was the response by you know the neoliberals right just the, the centrist kind of kind of media right cnn just like the first response was not that oh you know he's doing something good by making sure that the virus doesn't spread although he definitely should have acted far 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 sooner and their first response was instead you know you know, just, just we, that is xenophobic and just the, the lack of concern about, and that isn't the primary concern that we have about China in general, like there's a much bigger problems going on with trade, for example, and their ever expanding empire with China. But that's just like one example of how whenever Trump was concerned about China in any way, shape or form, it was automatically painted as just, just nonsensical. And Unfortunately, like right now, we don't have any grownups in the room on, on the left or even on like the center left or anything or even in the center saying, yeah, we actually do have to deal with China in some ways because they're, they're not exactly our friends. Yeah. Uh, so that's just I just wanted to add that in. It's just a shame that some he has to be the one to say it, regardless of like the extent to which he's it, his claims are true. They're, they're at least more true than what everyone else is saying, which is nothing. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, there was, um, there's a word and a phrase in China called, uh, it's it's pronounced Bei, it's like Bai Zuo, and uh, what that is, is essentially, uh, it literally in Chinese means white, (laughs) and it refers to how China, their government is attempting it through propaganda to equate criticism of their government as 
cool. criticism yeah. of Chinese people. And because of that, the left, you know, being PC, being, you know, all about identity politics and protecting people's identity, they want to not be perceived as racist by just criticizing the Chinese government because they think they could come off that way, which is insane. And if if that is truly a Chinese propaganda scheme, yeah, it's working. I think we're going to fall for it regardless of whether you know? or not it's a Chinese propaganda scheme because that's the nature of our politics right now. It really is. It's a shame. And, and that kind of goes into, you know, the last little topic we'll, we'll cover, and that is uh, that Tower Reed situation. You know, I pretty much did 50 minutes of it, <laughs> of my opinion, yeah. this morning. So I yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. So I just want to just acknowledge, like, real quick that, uh, and I'll, I'll tie this in, don't worry, it might seem completely unrelated, but it, so I just, I'm actually at UAB, a psychology minor. Maybe I'll be a double major with computer science but i'm a uh, computer science major and a psychology minor as of right now and uh, i actually just finished taking a class called abnormal psychology and in abnormal psychology what you realize like really really fast is that so much of the trauma that people experience that you know uh, that makes them have psychological abnormalities like you know personality disorders or mental illnesses in any way shape or form a lot of it I don't have an exact number, but so much of it, it's an overwhelming amount, is sexual in nature, right? And and so this is like, and, and, and on top of that, I just, I know so many people that, and this is not something that I originally thought, right, um, during the time of the Me Too movement, at least initially, right? It's just, you know, that I know so many women who have actually, and obviously men too, I'm just going to say women because it's disproportionately women. I just, I know a lot of women who have actually been not only sexually harassed, not only sexually assaulted, not only uh, also raped, but have been literally permanently traumatized by it and actually have mental illnesses, you know, it's just, or personality disorders, for example, as a result of that, just, for example, borderline personality disorder can result as a function of just horrible sexual trauma that one experiences at a very young age. It's just so, so bad. So both of those experiences, like it's just taking that class, knowing what I know that trauma starts sexually so, so, so often combined with knowing a lot of just mostly girls, but some men as well who have experienced uh, very, very bad um, non-consensual sexual events just makes this issue kind of close to me. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I, I think we're just going to be mostly on the same page about this. Uh, I don't think I'll be saying anything new. Um, just, the, I mean, there's just such hypocrisy. So I, I, I mean, I'll just say straight up, I, I fucking oh, yeah. believe terrorists. Like, I, I do. I think that whatever percentage of women who are lying, whatever percentage of women who do actually lie about these things. They, they all have like a particular kind of profile, right? I mean, just, and as far as I can tell, Tara Reed doesn't fit the profile. She's not histrionic, which, you know, she's not narcissistic. She doesn't have any history of you know, anyone saying that she's psychopathic or just attention seeking in any, any way like that. I mean, she, everything about her story to me based upon 
everything I know about like actual women who have been harassed, like and assaulted, etc. Everything seems to fall in line for me, and there's no reason for me not to believe her any more than there is any more reason for me to not believe, you know, someone I like actually know that's been through that experience. And so yeah. there's there's that, and there's obviously the, the way that the media has portrayed the Tara Reid situation, which is just, just, I mean, my God, I, I I'm actually fucking lost for words. Like, I, I mean, I really am. Because, like, oh, yeah. there, during the time of the Me Too movement, right, it's just, you know, I, I already have a bias for just believing most, the vast majority of women, right? So there are, the Me Too movement, and I think it was, like, was it 2017, something like that? Okay. It was 2018, really. Well, it was 2017 yeah. when they had the, like, you know, when Weinstein came out, when they had the Women's March, all that. And then in 2018 was when Kavanaugh, uh, you know, was uh, yeah. selected for the nomination to the Supreme Court, and then Christine yeah. Blasey okay, Ford okay, cool. So I, I just, I mean, if you if you look at what happened during the Me Too movement, it was just they covered, and the, the media just actively believed every single accusation of whatever it was um, by a woman, whatever kind of accusation that uh, a woman a woman made, particularly towards a man, that is just an automatic belief without any investigation. And, and a lot of these, these, these beliefs actually, you know, just the, the people in the media who covered these stories and uh, covered all of the women as automatically telling the truth, which I do believe the vast majority of them did tell the truth, but they ranged all the way from just, Ones where there are nuanced situations, they could be true, they could not be true, uh, all the way to situations where uh, it's absolutely true that the woman experienced something really, really bad by the guy, to situations where there's just like no evidence at all of the woman actually being assaulted or raised or sexually, you know, anything in any kind of way. And it just the, the equivalency that the media had on every single one of these cases, like I found to be kind of astounding uh, compared to how they are covering Joe Biden and you know, Joe Biden in 2020, simply because he's the Democratic nominee. And now I don't want to like say, you know, like earlier, uh, like uh, my, my bias is yes, I believe the vast majority of women. And it's just like my point is not to put doubt inside anyone's mind about like when a woman comes forward or anything like that. But I'm, I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy in the stances of the media yeah. that, that there's just had basically no skepticism in any of the accusations women made in 2018 to yeah. just, just the, the most investigative and just nitpicking at the most nuanced positions you could possibly imagine, such as uh, just when Sarah Reed, instead of filing her complaint as sexual assault, she filed it as harassment in the workplace. And they just emphasize that so much, almost as if it was evidence that it never happened, right? So it's just so much to Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's definitely just crazy because there's, you know, it's not only the media, it's also the yeah. political leaders around Biden. Uh, because, you know, I, I'm going to go through it again now just because, you know, we're talking about it. You look at Gretchen Whitmer, who's the governor of Michigan, 
and as someone who is considering, you know, considered to be a possible vice presidential candidate for Biden, you know, uh, she said, I believe Dr. Ford, when they, in reference to the Christine Blasey Ford, um, you know, uh, assault allegations against uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and the only corroborating evidence that that terror or that Christine Blasey Ford had was she named three other people that were supposedly at the party. One of them, she said, was in the room with her when Brett Kavanaugh assaulted her, and she took a polygraph test, which could not actually be, you know, submitted under, you know, any like yeah, yeah. legal proceedings. Um, all three of those people came out and said they basically mm. have no recollection of what happened either at that party or even being there. And then you look at Tara Reid's situation. There is a 1993 phone call into the Larry King live show yep. where a lady who is from San Obisco, California, that's the name of the city, that is the city that Tara Reed is from and her mother is from. And the uh, call, Tara Reed, you know, the idea is that this is Tara Reed's mom because the lady called and said, hey, I have a daughter that worked for a prominent senator and she doesn't know what to do. Um, other than go to the press to try and talk about this issue that she had with uh, a, a senator, a prominent senator. Yep. She didn't name the name of the senator. But the idea is that, you know, okay, what in the world would this phone call be if it wasn't Tara Reid, right? This was like a month or two after this alleged assault happened. And then in 1996, there was a... Um, there was a uh, there's a court document that her husband submitted for a divorce filing, and in that document, under oath, he testifies that something happened while Tara was or while Tara was working mm-hmm. for the Joe Biden right. uh, you know administration when he was something a senator. happened, but it wasn't. Um, and then you know you look at Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen Gretchen Whitmer says now we need to give people an opportunity to tell their story. But then we have a duty to vet it. And just because you're a survivor doesn't mean that every claim is equal. And, uh, you know, she went from, I believe, Dr. Ford outright with just a tweet that said that to we need to give people an opportunity to tell their story. But then we have to vet it, you know. And then you look at Stacey Abrams. She tweeted after Brett Kavanaugh got confirmed after the courageous and compelling testimony from Dr. Christine Blasey Ford yesterday, it is shameful that Kavanaugh's nomination is being rushed forward. I believe women and I believe survivors of violence always deserve to be supported and to have their voices heard. And then you, uh, you know, compare that to what she may have said with um, regards to um, Tara Reid. Let me, let me just pull that up real quick. Um, Stacey Abrams on Tara Reid, she says, I believe Joe Biden. She says, I believe that women deserve to be heard and I believe they need to be listened to, but I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. She believed all women in 2018, Mm -hmm. though, you know? So, and then Alyssa Milano, the leader of the Me Too, like there's uh, other examples of all of them coming out and kind of just being like, well... I know we said believe all women, but we need to we need to maybe look into I mean, this. And it's just like it's like you said, man. I mean, it's just so how stupid did they think you know? we are? I, I mean, really, 
Like you, you don't have to be a genius to well, see, you know, it's just the complete and utter obvious inconsistencies and scrutiny that they're having during each of these time periods. It just pisses me off, man. It's so ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's disappointing, and uh, you know, we'll just have to see what happens, man. I encourage you to go watch Megan Kelly. She uh, has a YouTube channel, and you know, I trust her to, and I think it's great that Tara Reid denied an interview with any mainstream media sources, and she did it with Megan uh-huh. Kelly on Megan Kelly's YouTube channel. Yeah, go check it out. It's a very interesting interview. Yeah, it, I watched it, it yesterday. I watched it when it first came it? out. So I was trying yeah. to do a little bit of research before okay. I came on with you, uh, and I actually ran into that interview, and I I watched it on like one point two five, one point five. And yeah, it was. It revealed more information in that interview than any other interview with her that I've seen so far. It, it's definitely, definitely worth watching for anyone yeah. else who's listening to this. It's a. Uh, it, it's interesting to see what happens, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, man. I mean, me and you, you know, I mean, we we pretty much just ranted about how we feel about this election, and you know. This Tara Reid situation doesn't change anything for me with Joe Biden because I'd already been planning to vote for him based on policy disagreements. But this just continues to show how, you know, why we probably shouldn't vote for him. <laughs> you know, and like if you're going to run a campaign where, you know, and Tara Reid talked about this a lot in their interview, where it's just like they're going to try and run this we're morally superior than Trump campaign. But you have all these skeletons and you have a record when it comes to like policy, even that you could say he's made and supported some bills that have had immoral effects on communities of color and communities that are poor. So, I I just think it's obvious. Like, I I think that the you know, we'll see most people can actually see that Biden and Trump both have skeletons in their closet to the extent that they think. Biden and Trump have skeletons in their closet. They, you know, they might think one way or the other, but, you know, I think where Trump has an advantage is the fact that he wears those skeletons in his closet that that mostly being what I'm talking about. He's like his, his personality, right? He wears those things as a badge of fucking honor. You know, Biden, it's so obvious to the average person, just the average person that, He's straight up lying when he says he's a good and common and decent person who does totally does not touch little girls and women in a, an extremely perverted well, way and doesn't have just the most awkward up close body language whenever he's around women. You know, Trump just says, yeah, I, I kind of am a dick. Biden just says, no, 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 that's not me. When it's so obvious to me that it is also him and it's him maybe, and I, I, you know, I just hate to say this, maybe as far as just who's a bigger asshole, right? It just Trump wins that. But maybe as far as like, who's the more morally, just all politics aside, who is a more morally unjust person based upon each of their actions? I, you, I could almost say Biden. And the fact that he won't wear it on the sleeve and that Trump does makes the voters really suspect, you know, it's just, why, why the fuck am I going to vote for this guy who's not that much different from Trump anyways? Why don't I just vote for Trump? I think that's what a lot of people are going to be thinking. There's, 
there's probably some of that. I think there's, you know, I mean, I, I essentially have that attitude. I just also, you know, can't can't vote for Trump because, you know, the, Kyle Kalinske made a good point today and uh, essentially kind of saying that, like, because he, somebody was attacking him on David Packman's show. I don't know if you heard that caller that called in to David and uh, pretty much attacked nope. Crystal Ball and Kyle Kalinske for saying that they weren't going to vote for Biden. Um, and, you know, Pacman, I think, defended them pretty well. But Kyle ended up uh, kind of showing the clip of that call on his show and then responding. It was like a 30-minute Kyle Kalinske clip. And then if you know Kyle Kalinske, he, a 30-minute clip yeah. is, you know, that's a long one for him. So because they're normally like, you know, 10 minutes at the most, five, nine minutes, eight minutes. He just kind of runs through a policy real quick. But, you know, he pretty much goes into this whole thing of, you know, why is it that, um, you know, if you are saying that you aren't voting for Biden, that it is automatically a vote for Trump? And like, that doesn't make sense because he's not voting for Trump. And, you know, if you want to make the argue that argument that, oh, you're not voting for Biden, so you're helping Trump. Well, Trump people yeah. could just <laughs> say the same thing. And say, well, you're not voting for Trump, well, you're helping Biden. And so it's like, you know, it, it is ridiculous. I think both sides, you know, we, there, there's just yeah. the hypocrisy man is coming out. And what's what's tough, and, the, you know, you you being uh, like, you you know, you, you telling me what you just told me about how you, you know, have these experiences knowing people and knowing uh, about, you know, sexual assault in the effects it can have on people it's crazy how the me too movement and everything like they are losing their credibility and any steps that they may have made forward yeah. for ladies and for uh you know sexual assault victims can just all be just it's all to me just been discredited and just completely you know, well, it's an elite several steps backwards. It's an elite driven movement. And well. unfortunately, you know, my memory fails me once again as to who the founder of the Me Too movement was. But she said initially that it was supposed to be a movement for the working woman. Right. So, you know, it's just that's definitely it, the intentions were there. Right. And it should have been a movement for the working class woman. But, you know, just really, really quickly, it kind of became co-opted by a whole bunch of celebrities instead of working class women sharing their stories and making it about them, giving them their five more minutes in the spotlight than they thought they would have because their careers are now irrelevant. Right. Just, just, you know, it, it, it just went from being focusing on the average everyday individual to totally being driven by elites and just, I mean, it's even, it's even more perfect, example of that it's without evidence just proof that the youtube has been co-opted i should say because the original youtube was absolutely good but the reason that we know it's been co-opted by elites is because it's just the scrutiny of each individual can be turned off in a in a second it's no longer a working class movement it's an elitist movement that has just been completely co-opted and unfortunately you know it's there ever is to be another movement that, you know, works for, you know, working class women again, it has to be, you know, 
strategize in a completely different way and it's so that the media co-opted so that it only benefits some people, not the average the average woman. Exactly, man. You know, we'll just have to kind of see. But Alex, I know it's getting a little late, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and let you go and I don't really uh, have much else to to uh, to talk about, um, you know. Um, actually, man? yeah, man. I actually because it's summertime, I got a little bit more free uh, time on my hands. Um, if you don't mind, like a little plug, I'm actually starting my own podcast. Um, yeah, it's called okay. Thoughts of Interest okay. with Alex Hamilton, and I'll, I'll be launching my first episode so probably within the first couple of weeks so if any of you want to uh, catch that it'll be on itunes spotify and stitcher and a few more platforms so any of you enjoyed what i have to say it's not going to be as political as this show you can also check that show out and yeah that's just about it well awesome alex i will definitely uh let me know whenever you launch that man i will uh shout it out on the show again and uh link in the description of the episode that I talk about it in. Okay, uh, make cool. Sure people Thank you very much, Kelvin. Listen to you, man. Yeah. But uh, it's good to uh, see you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>